Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Attention nerds, it's the Riley and Kimmy Show. Well, hello out there. It's me, Winnie the Pooh. And don't forget to remember to stay tuned to the Riley and Kimmy Show. And don't forget to remember to keep on bouncing, says Tigger. <laughs> Patrick Riley on location, I'm at the Altamont Mall. I met up with one of my former colleagues and somebody I consider a very good friend and a fellow nerd. He's a nerd in the angle or on the angle of uh, collecting, and that is fellow broadcaster Bob Kelly. Hello, Bob. Hey, buddy. I'm a nerd, huh? Is that the, is that the way you feel about me after all these years uh, well, working together at the uh, LOQ? Well, I didn't call you a geek. Oh, is there a difference between a nerd and a geek? Well, you know, a geek originally, you know what the word means, don't you? It was a circus performer who bit the heads off of chickens. Oh, I thought it was a Greek that lost an R. No, no. <laughs> so I didn't, call, I didn't call you a geek. Okay. You are a nerd. So I'm a nerd. Okay, well, I do collect, you know. Well, come on. Now, I'm trying to imagine a, let's say, 13-year-old Bob Kelly. Were you a nerd in school? Oh, my God, yes. See? Oh, my God, yes. I had to square black glasses. Uh, the butch wax, you know, my first haircut was at a, at a place in Goldenrod. Mom took me, got the lollipop, read the comic book while I waited. They oh, call wow. me like, they, you know, when the, the barber calls you out loud when, when you go up to the chair. Right. Then starts, you know, takes that black strap out and he's oh, running yeah. that thing back and forth. Yeah. And you're going, you know, this is the end of life as I know it yes. right here. And he goes, Bobby, Bobby Kelly, you're a <laughs> na-. It's like, you know, the, the, uh, when you go to the airport. Right. You know, gate four, gate four, now boarding. You know, he's up there going, uh, Bob Kelly, Bobby Kelly, you're next, chair three. What? What? <laughs> it's a haircut. Now, you know what's interesting? You just mentioned, uh, what was it, Winter Park or that you had your first haircut, right? Yeah, I can remember one of the first places I ever went to was Andy's Barbershop. And for those of you that know Winter Park, uh, you know where the clock is in Winter Park across from Bank of America, the right. big old clock. Well, that used to be the clock above Barnett Bank, which was in that building where that clock is attached to. Okay. Well, next to that was Rudy's Jewelers for many, many years, which was part of LOQ story because our owner uh, uh, frequented uh, Rudy's Jewelers for a long time, Rudolph's Jewelers, I should say. But right next to that was where Andy's Barbershop was. And it was the candy cane pole, you know, and housed in chrome going around and round. In fact, you know, in some of my devotional writings, I wrote about the first time my mom took me hand in hand into that barbershop. My goodness. Yeah, it was, you know, this, you were going to the gallows. You were going to the firing squad. <laughs> you know, it's just like, then, you know, you had to go get a haircut, which was traumatic. Right. But then you had to walk there, which made, made it even more traumatic because you had to wait for it. Uh. I mean, it's like it was approaching. You know, you're going to go get a haircut the next day, son. You mean hours from now? Yeah, we'll be, we'll be there about 12 hours from now. So you wake up in the middle of the night. Okay, I'm going to be there in six. I still do that stuff. Oh, no. Oh, I still anticipate stuff. I remember 
working morning radio, you know, very often waking up three, four thousand times a night, you know, thinking I'm going to miss the alarm clock. I'm going to wait for the guy on the radio to wake me up. Now, you wait a minute. I am the guy on the radio that's going to wake him now, up. Now, wait a minute. You never had the, uh, you remember the movie FM? Yeah, remember? sure. Okay, sure. remember how it opens up where yeah. the morning uh, personality is late yeah. and the overnight guy goes, hey, uh, Dugan, you have five minutes before the song ends. Right. You got to get here and he gets in his Carmen Gee and races to work. You never had a moment like that, did you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I won't say the radio station. I won't say it who it was. Oh, I know which one but it was. I, n- n- uh, no. Yeah, no. Not at the one we worked at together. No, it's that other one, yeah. is it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I won't say who it was, but on several occasions, the person that came in after me was late. Uh-oh. And so they went to another kind of program at night after I got off. Uh-oh. That was because it was, I will say this much, the end of the day, you know, your, your delivery's changed. And all of a sudden, hope you had a good day. And now, welcome to bleep, 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 right. bleep, right. bleep. Right. So, you know, you're going into another day part, and you've got your first break. That's really embarrassing. <laughs> I mean, that's really, really because this was way before voice tracking and recording, right. or someone even sending in a file from home, and you just basically, you know, did that. Um, well, the place you and I worked at, and I'm not, and this is somebody you know of i'm not going to say who um i I don't think really a good friend though um when i started at that place we worked at together he was notorious he would come in after me and he'd go hey i'm running an hour and a half late and and it would be two hours late you know yeah well you know i i one of the jokes against me when we came back and we worked together, you know, when I came back in, in uh, 2005 was, Bob, how come you're getting here so early? <laughs> and my answer was always the same. And I looked at a, a salesperson square in the eye one day and I said, because I like it. <laughs> and uh, you remember when we were automated during the day, which a lot of stations do. And uh, because we were automated, no physical body was in the studio. So I would get to the studio early for maybe the afternoon shift, and I would sit in there and do prep or read the nose and stuff. I simply liked it. And this was when Mama was at home. My mom was in her 90s. And for those of you listening, uh, I, you know, I cared for my mom, and my mom was the biggest radio fan I ever had from wow. the get-go when I started in the 70s. Wow. Now, yeah. see, I've got to jump back to something. You keep bringing up Orlando, Winter Park, some of the suburbs. You are a rarity. You're an actual Florida native. Right. I was born in St. Pete in 1951. Uh, I was put in a straw basket and floated down the river and no discovered kidding. by two pharaoh women. Yes. Wow. Well, yeah. Nice blanket you're yeah. wearing. <laughs> it's, it's in the Bible, but no, all kidding aside, my mom and dad, they're both with the Lord now, but, but uh, they, they were, my dad worked for uh, the power company. He got a job in St. Petersburg, and so they settled down, and I almost grew up there. But Dad also got an offer for a job in Winter Park, either Lake Wales or Winter Park. So I could have very easily wow. been raised, you know, two blocks away from Spook Hill, for God's wow. sake, you know. But no, Dad says, no, Winter Park looks good. So the home we moved into, brand new in Winter Park, was um, $10,000 brand new. Concrete block home built by George Jenkins, who was on the board of directors of public supermarkets. You know, he was okay. the founder, but he was also you know, developer back then. And uh, I was in this uh, home since uh, 1953. And then, uh, you know, out of the home, obviously, when I was involved with somebody or married. 
And uh, now I'm back in that home, which was uh, given to me uh, when Mama died. That that has to be a comforting yeah. feeling well, to I mean, actually the home be back I grew home. Up in. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it, there is something about that. But it also happened in another part of my life, and that was when I was with LOQ, WLOQ for 14 years. And then after being at uh, another radio station, Magic 107.7, and then going out to Disney, um, I was invited back. You know, Brian, who we worked with. Right, Brian, Brian, Brian Morgan, Morgan, who yeah. was one of my best friends. Uh, I just, he's one of the best mentors I've ever had in my life. And one of the best sounding radio personalities I ever well, yeah. met. Yeah, yeah Brian is just the, 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 the he's just a great, great radio personality, but he's a great human being and a great man. And he's helped me so much with wow. many things on and off the mic. Very nice. Great teacher, too. Great instructor of the radio craft. Mm-hmm. But um, he actually called me one day. I was out at Disney teaching a class on the Segway Human Transporter, which I was an instructor. And he said, we'd like to have you back at the station. Nice. But this was after I ran into Herb. Herb and Margaret, the owners of WLOQ, okay. at a movie. And Herb was very open with me about how I used to uh, take care of my lake partner, Bobby. Okay. Bobby. Your who, morning, you were you were yeah, a morning yeah. co-host. Bobby, yeah. Bobby, it's no secret, Bobby uh, you know, had uh, uh, some challenges in his life. And I'm not going to go into you right. know, drug abuse and alcohol abuse and that kind of a thing. But you know, in broadcasting, we were around a lot of people that I will say weathered a lot of storms. True. And, true. But I had an unconditional love for Bobby. And I helped him with some other things. Gotcha. And Brian called me up and invited me back to the station. And I took, I took an FMLA day the next day. Oh, really? Which is a family medical leave of absence day. All right. And I went to the studio. And I remember sitting in the lobby of Maitland and seeing Brian walk down the outside hallway and open the door. And he walked into the stu- you know, I'm walking through the station. And I said, I never thought I'd be here again in radio. <laughs> and he offered me afternoons on the weekends, both days. But I couldn't do Sunday because I helped Mama. But I took Saturday. Well, I walked out of that station. I went out to my car. I sat in my car, and I didn't start it for at least 15 minutes. I was numb. Wow. Because I used to have dreams that I was going to end up back on com- on, uh, at Fairbanks. I used to drive by going, and you know, the Bible says, and I'm a Christian man, the Bible says God will fulfill the desires of your heart. And oh my God. And he has recently again, but oh my God. It's just amazing. And when I came back to LOQ, it was like, I'm home. Did you ever share that with Brian? Did you ever tell him that? Oh yeah. Well, Brian was one of the four people that gave the eulogies at my mom's service. Okay. So beautifully. Uh, and that touched me because they basically, you know, they were on the Scott Digital System, so they basically unplugged the station uh, with with humans there, and uh, they almost everybody showed up. Nice. Everybody showed up at that, and I was just, and I, it was such a, it was such a service of joy because nobody loved that station more than my mom. My mom used to. When I used to come home and I took care of her, she said, you sounded good today. You sounded good today. And she said, then she lost her hearing. And I'd come Aww. home and she sounded good. Well, one day I came home and the radio was by the rocker, unplugged from the wall. Uh-oh. She looked at me and she smiled and she said, you sounded good today. Okay. <laughs> and you know what that, that meant? There was 
I could do no wrong in front of my mom. Wow. So one of the things that I always thought about when I was on the air was trying to honor my mom and my dad. Now, my dad said when I got a job at LOQ in the 70s, after mom said, oh, that's great. He said, you're going to do what? Really? Dad wasn't happy. Years later, I was doing a weekend upstairs at Fairbanks. And the gate was open to the stairs. After a while, because they had an incident there, they put a lock on it. But at that time, and Dad knew how to get up to the second floor. Okay. I see my dad's face in the window of Fairbanks. So I had no idea he was coming. Uh Uh-oh. So I walked out to the door, which was by John's office. Okay. And let him in. And he sits down and watches me on the air. That changed his view of what I did completely after that. Nice. He, for the first time, saw me do something I love, and he sat right there and watched me. It would have been as if I would have gone back to his early ham radio days or the days of maybe even being around his buddies after the war. He didn't wow. love the war, but he loved some war buddies. His friends being around Oh, yeah, his because he was, in, he was in France and Belgium for the, for the bulge. But uh, I related to that. Okay. But that connected us. So radio in my life has acted like a, a tremendous connection, but it's been my life. Now, when you started, and I'm, I've seen a photo, I think, when, of your early days at LOQ that you shared with me. Were you playing records? Were you playing 45s, albums, and things oh, yeah. like that? Oh, yeah, records. Uh, and our studio on Comstock was in a, a building that is now a, a, an office. It was a law office before we took it over. So we used to affectionately call WLOQ the sales office with turntables. <laughs> but one thing we had that the other two studios never had is we had a separate newsroom separated by a glass window. You know, like in the big stations right, up, right. up north back in the back in the 60s. Which is when, what I'm more familiar yeah, with. Yeah, those, yeah. you know, the news thing. guy would go next door and they'd go, and now we go to John Lester with the news. And they'd point at him. You know, the old right, radio right. stations were... Uh, you'd have the producer and then the guy on the air, and they'd right. be separated by the glass the glass room. Well, Joe would always be in that glass room, and I would be in there, and there was no paint on the wall. In fact, I have a picture of me working in a tie, because when I first started, I said, what do you wear when you're on the radio? So I said, well, I guess I better get dressed up for the people I'm broadcasting to. <laughs> so I had, I, there I am with my, you know, my hair dryer hair, you know me. You, you had the uh, Andy Travis kind of hair yeah, from yeah, WKRP. Yeah, you yeah. did. You still do. Okay. There was a time when I used the hair and I forgot the record was over, but uh, a hair dryer, but that's another story. <laughs> but uh, I sat there with it, and you can see the actual concrete block of the building in the background next to the, the uh, phonograph record rack uh, because they didn't paint that, that room. But actually, it was a very, very, very good room. Um, and... We would sit there, and the dumpster truck would come and empty the dumpster, and sometimes you'd hear that over the air. And we had this old Collins board, which was, you know, the old dials and the switches and the turntables. But uh, it was a radio station. And the very first thing I said on that station when I started on a Sunday morning was illegal. What did you say? Well, we were used to, we used to be owned by, we used to, uh, WLOQ was originally owned by Friendly Management. Okay. okay, which also owned WLOF. So right. on the board that you worked on was WLOF on top and WLOQ below. 
And I don't know if you remember WLOF, but in their waning years, they had a they had lettering that was kind of blocky and kind of at an angle, and it was just like you know the W would be like shaped like a like a vase. Okay. Okay. You seen, seen that, that kind of yeah, style? I've seen it, yeah. Well, WLOQ was below it. All right. So Bob, the the program director at the time, he says, "Okay, your public service programming is we we were, we were on at six, and then at eight o'clock, I went on with records until twelve, and then this other guy came in, and he was another story. But I came in. He said, "Now, you know, your reels are running down, your little fifteen minute ones." Ah, the program, the uh, the PSAs, the public yeah. service programming, is on reel to reel. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I remember doing that the first time. I said, well, how do I change from one reel to another without a dead air? I just couldn't. I wasn't getting it. And he says, well, you got to play a record. And be, oh, God, you mean i got to start a turntable between them? Oh, my God. See, all this was just like riding a bike the first time. Right. But, anyway, I throw the switch. He says, just say, this is WLOF, WLOQ Winter Park. He says, make sure you got to say the call letters and the, and the town where the, where the where the transmitter is side by side that's what the FCC requires <laughs> right so i went this is WLOF winter park i started the record whoops <laughs> <laughs> so then i go well i'm going to learn how to swallow crow 15 minutes into my radio career All as right. i did so that that's a funny story now let's see OLF was still part of LOQ and Herb, the owner, yeah. he got rid of OLF, well, right? It was. The board at that time, Herb bought it. So at the time I did that, we weren't friendly management. It was, but that was the board where they got it. Right, right. The, the story goes that uh, when, when Herb was invited down here to uh, look at the station, um, he was brought, and I'm not going to go into great detail here, but uh, the old story is that, that WLOQ was in the top floor of the Langford in downtown Winter Park. And literally, it was a classical radio station, 1,000 watts. And all the records, had no place to put the records. So, as any uh, smart person would do, you just stick all your radio albums in a bathtub. In a bathtub. Yeah, in a bathtub. So, we literally started in a bathtub. Wow. Wow. And you would think classical records, you know, be a very, very nice place to be and all that, you know. We knew... I think I knew when I started, and I would play like Roger Whitaker, Perry Como, and then I would play Dave Brubeck or Bob James, that that combination wasn't something radio was doing. (laughs) You know, we always kind of aligned ourselves with K-Wave out in California because they were the epitome of the early NAC or the new adult contemporary, which was basically vocals and jazz and didn't disney eventually or whoever was programming the arrow didn't they kind of absorb loq's well, programming a little bit to yeah model there was it? a lot of people that that copied us but the thing about loq was we went through several different eras in the same building mm. uh and not only did we go through eras but we pioneered those eras we were not really following anybody right. i can remember literally being on the floor of comstock and putting red stickers, I mean, uh, uh, colored stickers that were round, about the size of a quarter, on different index cards. About eight different colors for di- different categories. And then you put those in those those cards 
in a shoebox, and there were a couple different ones. And the, the, the thing was, you could go three or four back when you chose your song in that, in that category. And the clock was basically just a circle of different colored circles. And that was your programming clock with lines where you talked and where your commercials were. Now, that was crude, but basically when you look at, remember, the Scott system we were on. Digital system yeah, you're talking it, about. You know, we looked at, we were looking at, you know, squares on a computer and everything. Right. But basically it's the same system. You use right. colors, you use dividers right. where your brakes are, you, you are shown where you can talk and stuff like that. But we were basically playing songs that were, that no one could touch because there was nowhere to put them. And Ed Pasha, my old music director, allowed us to play anything on the album. So how do you do that? He would take an index card and tape it to the back of the album and write every track on there with an arrow next to it. It would either go out horizontally or go out and then go up, meaning an up-tempo song, or go out and go down, meaning it was a slow song. Nice. So you'd look up and say, okay, well, we have to do something here and we've got to slow it down a little bit. So you'd go three or four back in the cards and then you'd find something that would fit. But it was up to you to not put too many groups together or too many back-to-back males together. So while it was crude, it kept disc jockeys on their toes and actually they kind of programmed their shows to a point. And actually that, if I remember right in, in the history of LOQ, that continued for a long period of time, which made it one of the rarities in broadcast because as students of, you know, radio know and broadcasting by the 60s program directors controlled basically everything i mean they they had the they would print out a music log and you you stuck to it that was the top 40 world that went to country to everything else but loq was still going you know letting the dj be a dj yeah well you know the beauty of i guess my i will say the beauty to me that I cherish in my heart of what I did with LOQ is not what I contributed to LOQ, but what I got from them. I mean, they were a family to me. They've meant more to me than anybody could, that I could possibly say. Uh, they've been very, very kind to me. They always loved me. They always, I thought for a long time I was kind of getting grandfathered in, and that's not the case because they were always saying the quality of my work was good. But when I first started there, I shielded myself from a lot of the, the family tension that was going on there. And, and there that, was. And, and, yeah, and I, there was. I encountered and I'm that. I'm not bringing up names, no, but no, there no, was. Yeah. But that's nothing new to small businesses that are struggling to stay alive because LOQ actually had some times in the 80s when they about just went belly up. Mm-hmm. But the, why I shielded myself is because I was so excited about being in the career. And then I went, I'm really damn lucky to be here, to be in radio, but to be here. I'm not far from my house. I live in right. Winter Park. My mom and dad are down the street, yada, yada, yada. You didn't, I, you didn't have to start out in Wyoming, not, not bashing Wyoming. You didn't, a lot of people did. I didn't know, you know what it was like to start out anywhere. Right. I was at LOQ for 14 years, Magic for six, Disney at eight, back to LOQ for seven. That's it, two stations. Well, now three, because recently I've been, you know, given a little chance to help out out at the college but basically two stations and i know it's how you just kind of well i'm basically helping out at the college that is a very big thing that you're doing because that is a huge and i mean huge radio station in the world of jazz yeah bobby is at wucf in orlando 
a jazz station for those who do not know. And those who are in Orlando and like jazz may not, and I don't know how you don't know about it, it's 89.9. Right. And you're, I have to be, well, I'm not the first, but I, I want to not be the last to congratulate you oh, for you. getting this position. Well, I know, I mean, I can't think of anybody else yeah. who is you know, better at jazz than you, well, actually. Thank you very much. Well, I, I told him that I would cut all my hair off and not wear suspenders and overalls. And then they said, well, you're hired. Wow. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> no, they, 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 they very uh, uh, nicely asked me uh, if I would help. And, of course, uh, Mark Taylor and Robin Austin from WLOQ are out there. And now the station is the number one rated overall jazz station in America. And that's just a credit to um, the programming they have out there and the, the uh, more... Um, I don't want to say a little more streamlined approach to presenting some of these these, these wonderful performers. Uh, you know, I grew up around jazz. I know I'm with the Jazz Society. We both grew up around radio, but right, I grew right. up around jazz, a lot of jazz. And one of the phrases that I always heard that Bob Kelly does not like is, let's keep jazz alive. Ah. Well, I think one of the ways you you call attention to something that's dying is to say openly and all the time, let's keep it alive. Right. I think we all know that jazz may not be, you know, one of the top 20 formats, but needless to say, smooth jazz isn't either. It's had its day. Right. But doesn't mean that there's not talent and there's enjoyment and continued enrichment by the artists that work so hard in producing this music form. Um, I think we live in a society that, that's very critical when it comes to uh, uh, fragmenting uh, what everything should be. And I think WLOQ cannot be categorized into anything because it took too much effort and too, much, uh, too many people with a heart that said, we're not going to quit. We believe in this. And it, it yeah. was, you know, if you... I hate to really call it ever a smooth jazz station, jazz station. It was more like an eclectic-oriented radio uh, format, wasn't it more? Well, it was for a while, but in our desire to keep LOQ on the air, perhaps that was the greatest direction that LOQ ever had. You know, we might have not sat there in the summer of 1982 thinking that in the spring of 1988 we'd be this or that. We, We didn't really know. Um, I mean, there's an old, I suppose there's an old adage to say, you don't know where you're riding on the bike until the bike gets there. You just uh, keep pedaling. Um, I just made that up, but that uh, did sound good. That's good. I should write a book. I like that one. Yeah, I just made that up. But, that's, that's but I'm just, but the point, the point I didn't make up, I think the point is our direction was to uh, capture the moment. And we really had a lot of... Uh, uh, different things come toward us like we obviously had the early jazz infusion into Orlando through Disney like the the, the Village Jazz Lounge oh, yeah. um, we had some great places in downtown Orlando I mean I can remember introducing several acts at the old uh, Great Southern Music Hall which was the Beecham Theater historically in Orlando uh, Count Basie I did there I did nice. Diane Shore there but the point is these artists came and then we had the wonderful Cheek to Cheek concert series and brought in some of the best artists in the world to play for these small venues of 250, 250 people a show. Nice. 
And the reason we did that is because Mary Ann, the, the woman that brought these people in, she could get Grusin and Dave Ritten, uh, Lee Rittenauer and Dave Grusin together. She got the nylon. She got Harry Anderson's comedy. She got Dennis Miller when he was a rookie. She got Wynton Marsalis to play. Nice. And I introduced Bonnie Raitt. I talked to Bonnie for a long But the point was they came because there was credence with the station. And this station, even when it was 3,000 watts, had a tremendous credence. I mean, I remember my reception when I got to Montreux, when I went to the festival. Nice. 3,000-watt station in the middle of Orlando with this tremendous image. And it wasn't because of mammoth money and advertising. It was because of the heart. I re and you're telling the truth because I was uh, part of a broadcast group many years ago, and I was flown to Orlando with a boombox and a ton of cassettes to record LOQ uh, because one of the stations in the company, they were thinking about switching it to smooth jazz, and LOQ was like the station to be like. So, And I remember being here in Orlando for close to a week recording well. LOQ. Well, I don't know if we're going to talk about this today on your on your uh, on your broadcast, but uh, I suppose in every dictionary there are the few words you wish you didn't see. In every book there are those chapters you wish you didn't read. But if it wasn't for those chapters, the book wouldn't be the book, or the dictionary wouldn't be the dictionary. Right. And um, we had those. Um, radio can be tough. Yes. Uh, it can be discouraging, and to a lot of people, it can be just downright, uh, how can I say it, boring. But I think we had a lot of people, we were blessed to have many, many employees through the years that gave everything far and beyond their work day. They, they, kind, of, they kind of got it. Mm -hmm. um, can you remember... Uh, oh, can you imagine Lee Iacocca saying when the first person said, you know, that Mustang thing, that's not going to work. <laughs> or, you know, that, that, that you know, you've you got a, a company like Chrysler and they're going to go out of business because you're building cars that are shaped like Kleenex boxes. Right. Or saying to, uh, uh, you know, like FDR at the beginning of the war that, you know, when he addressed Congress that we will... We will win. We will reprieve what, what they've done to us. You know, he had that vim and vigor, as, right. as the Kennedys always said. Well, we had that ingrained in us. The grosses put that in there. The people that came and went. And I always consider WLOQ a family. You're a big part of that family, whether you've got... F and I really consider people that have come and gone with LOQ, whether they got removed or ejected or... <laughs> or dropped from a plane. They were always part of that family. And um, it's like a mosaic. Everybody has a tile right. in that right. mosaic. And when you go back and, and the camera pans back and you look at it, you go, wow. But you can associate WLOQ with one thing, and that is, um, I don't know if it's jazz or if it's an, a successful independent station or if it's a, a station that did more than they should have at 3,000 watts for so long. But it might be a little bit of all those things. And it's interesting because it continued for a long period of time when it was all alone. And when radio had adjusted or changed over the years where radio stations could be part of groups and markets, mm -hmm. um, LQ held its own. Uh, it wasn't part of the, the big clusters, as they call it. Right. And it, it 
kept thriving, right. kept staying alive, and kept being part of the Orlando market. Yeah. And that was a rarity. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I wanted to bring today, and I couldn't, you, know, you talk about collecting things. I've collected so much that I can't find the things that I want to find. Oh, you're the but ultimate I'm, pack rat. I like but this. I, but I do have a WLOQ scrapbook that uh, is, is pretty cool. And my mom actually did it. There's oh, clippings wow. and things like that, like Count Basie at the at the Beecham Theater, or um, oh my gosh, the the things we did at the uh, uh, the malls, uh, the uh, Fashion Square Mall in 1981. We did a big jazz thing, or the things that came and went that that are long gone now. And on the front of it is this big Q with a derby on it. Well, you know, for years we were Q 103. Right, right. Now the story was that um, that was uh, born in the very, very early days, but John let the queue go because at that time there were some very popular stations in the Florida area that began with Q that were not identifiable to being anything like we were. You know, <laughs> Q105 in Tampa, you right. had, a, I think, a Q102 or something of sorts in Miami. So there was an image, so he dropped that, and then we were LOQ. Um, the joke between Bobby and I in the morning for eight years was uh, we, we threw the W away. Because <laughs> nine times out of ten at six o'clock in the morning, that's the hardest damn letter to say in the, in the world. <laughs> we couldn't say W. Bobby would go, love it. I said, what? You go, W. I said, what was that? You go, love it. He said, shut up. Shut up. Now, I, I want to move away from radio for a moment to uh, the one place I know you worked at that had to have changed so much from when you were a young guy to eventually when you worked at it. Mm-hmm. And Give us a little bit of Disney. What was Disney like? I mean, you were here before Disney was here. You know, the, well, yeah, yeah, I, what was it like and then eventually to work for my, Disney? My dad worked at Florida Power, and I actually went out to the park one day when the castle, which was actually built out of fiberglass, uh, was under construction, so we actually drove out to the site. Um, once for WLOQ, I flew on a glider with a guy, and we flew not close to it, but we saw the Epcot ball under construction from, from right. the air in a glider. The, the point was, I remember when the story broke in the Orlando Sentinel, because when I was out at Disney and did a couple of tours, that was one of the the uh, interesting points we brought up in the tour about how that happened. I mean, a Sentinel reporter actually leaked this story that um, it wasn't Lockheed, it wasn't NASA, it wasn't um, Martin Marietta that was buying all this property. It was Walt Disney. Whoa. (laughs) Whoa. Well, you know, I grew up here since the 50s, so that changed Orlando completely. It's almost like historically... For a Christian, you go, you have the A.D. and the B.C. with the life okay. of Christ. All right. Now, before I get hate mail here, <laughs> I'm just going to say. I'll give his email address. <laughs> no, no. I'm just going to say that, Dis- that, that Orlando actually has before Disney and after Disney. Okay. A period in our, in our history. What was Orlando like compared to maybe a city I'm aware of now in Florida. Was it like something that I can put my fingers on no. before before well, uh, Disney? The, the, the time it took you to go from Winter Park to Tampa was about, no, four hours. Because you had to go, you know, Kissimmee and uh, 
Winter Haven, Haines City, Lake Wales, back back way like that. I mean, there was no I four. It was all you know. Two lane. There was well, there was no, but there was no straight shot to Tampa. You had to go gotcha. around about. Um, Disney changed everything because I think it, it put Central Florida uh, really on the map in a different way. It put Central Florida on the map globally. Okay. All of a sudden, in 1971 in October, when they opened that park, not only did you think, God, I can't believe that it was Central Florida that Walt decided on going to because there was other choices he had. Wasn't it Northern Florida, too, he was looking Northern at? Northern Florida, but I think he also had a place in Texas he was looking at. He was looking for climate. And when you go out to Disney, I used to do a backstage tour out there for the Disney Institute. And one of the things we talked about was the challenge that Walt had. His first challenge was to build a park on muck. Uh, the water issue, the swamps. Because a lot of people don't know this, that when you go out to Walt Disney World, it's on the second floor. It's on the second level. The first level is the tunnel for the cast members below. Right. Now, I've heard about that. Okay, well... What covered the tunnel so that Disney could be built was the dirt, so to speak, of where the lagoon is. So when you uh, come into the park and you decide to either take the monorail over or the boats over and you cross the lagoon, that whole area, what they dug out there, actually covers up the tunnel. The tunnel and the area underneath Disney is the only place like it in the world. Now, Epcot has it but only under the, the front of the park, not the back, not where the country's Okay. Are. It's used for three things. It's used for actual cast members getting to the lands without walking through another land because that's one of the keys to the kingdom. You can't do that. Okay. Can't be wandering through Tomorrowland in your Pirates of the Caribbean outfit because it ruins the magic. The illusion. The gotcha. illusion. Gotcha. The second thing they do it for is uh, to, to move anybody down there in case of an emergency which they've had to do on a couple of occasions. Um, and the third reason they would do down there is, and uh, the biggest reason is because of your storage and mm. your office things. You know, offices are all over the park and people don't know where they are. Gotcha. If you flew over Magic, if you flew over the Main Street in Magic Kingdom, you would see obviously behind the Magic. Ah. And you would see the extension of all the, the old places on the, uh, the main street, main street. And then of course, everything's forced perspective. Everything actually looks taller than it is because they shrink the size down. It's an illusion. Gotcha. Okay. And then of course you see all the names up there, which are all some of the original Imagineers and that kind of a thing. But when you look up there, all the offices are behind those charades that are out front. Nice. Okay. So Disney is, is a functional community. They've had to take people down into the tunnel a couple of times. Below the train station at Magic Kingdom, which you know, yes. is a bomb shelter. I, I, I've heard that. Now, I was working in guest relations once, and I did that for a short period of time, and there was a tornado in the area, and they were going to move people down there, which they could very easily do. Um, I remember when Hurricane... There was a hurricane in 2002, I think. We were working at Keelboats. They had to shut the park down the next day. Disney also had a, a very good, fast way of preparing the park for a storm. They had things that rolled up, that collapsed, that were covered, and they had crews that would come out and do this. But we had hurricane crews. 
And those were cast members that volunteered to stay out at the no park kidding. for days at a time and sleep and live out there. And I volunteered for that on two occasions, but never got used. Wow. And that's tough. A lot of guys loved it. I mean, it was kind of a, a head trip. I just thought it was, a, it was good to give. Well, I worked on the air two times for LOQ during a uh, hurricane, two different hurricanes for 24-plus hours, so I know what yeah. it's like to uh, do the park thing a little bit, just yeah. a little bit. But one thing is when you go into Disney, and now all the, all the brothers are gone, oh, yeah. but, you know, you walk in and you see, um, you know, Walt and Mickey and the, in the spokes. Right. That's the, the wheel, the right. spokes. Now, he, you notice that Walt never points with his finger because that was, that's, it's rude to point with your finger. So it was always what they called the open hand. Okay. Now, a lot of people don't know who that is with Minnie on the bench in front of City Hall when you first walk in. And who is that? That's, that's um, the brother. That's ah. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, I was going to say Roy. That's Roy. Now, did I know at uh, Disneyland, uh, Walt had a... A suite that was kept in one of the buildings that was like on Main Street. And they always kept a light lit if he was in there. Did he have a place like that here in Orlando set up even though he wasn't here? There's the great fable of the the Disney, uh, the the, the apartment in in the castle. Is it haunted? No. no. Okay. But there is a place up there that someone could stay. Then the castle is built out of fiberglass. And the reason it's built out of fiberglass is actually fireproof. Oh, really? But... um, there are so many things out at Disney that are hidden from the naked eye but in front of you all the time. What is one thing in today's time period if you would recommend you got to go see, maybe at each park, that you got to go see, let's say, at you know, Disney's main park and then Animal Kingdom, if you're aware of, I think you did Animal Kingdom, and Epcot, of course. Uh, what, what would you recommend at well, maybe each place? I could recommend it like I'm the author of you got to see Disney book, but I can recommend it also like Bob Kelly. Let's recommend it like Bob Kelly. Okay. Um, Magic Kingdom, what would you recommend? Hidden Secret. Oh, I think Magic Kingdom, you have to... Oh, wow. I don't know. I, I was a big fan to being on the riverboat at night, which is cool. If you can be on the riverboat during the fireworks show, that's particularly cool. Um, get up on the third deck of the riverboat. Um, and that's something not, not everybody does. Um, you know, you've got all the, the rides and everything. I think... Um, uh, seeing the candlelight processional during Christmas is very special. Oh, I saw Cary Grant do it. I saw Gary Sinise do it. Cary Grant was wonderful. Oh. Um, also, there's a lot of hidden secrets out there. I mean, there are things that you probably would not uh, think about doing. But I think seeing the fireworks from the riverboat is 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 um, pretty cool. Um, also, they have a lot of backstage shows. The shows they do at 7 a.m. before the park opens, and it costs you a little money. I'm not aware of this yeah. one. But if you can go out and see the, and do the steam trains tour and see the guys do the blowdowns and the steam trains uh, and fire the steam trains up and explain to you how to run a boiler, which I did on the, on the oh, riverboat. Oh, nice. But the thing about the steam trains is you'll meet some of the cast members that were part of the so-called opening crew. Really? Now, an opening crew cast member right now, if he's standing out there right now, would have 44 years with the company because it was October 1st, 1971. Wow. And some of the guys that were out there that operated steam trains were some of the, the best cast members with the company. 
So that I would recommend the steam train tour. Um, yeah, that's a good one. How about over at Epcot? What comes to mind? Well, obviously the uh, the fireworks at the end of the day, but there's also uh, I think. Um, well, I, I just read from a friend of mine the other day, they're closing one of the interventions. Now, that's where I worked. I worked at Interventions West. I didn't and know East. that. Yeah, I did that, yeah. For, I did that for five years. I did all the shows. Um, oh, there are some people that appear during the year in the countries. There's a man that comes in once a year into Germany that, that is the uh, beautiful artist that paints all the uh, eggs. Oh. They're these beautiful porcelain nice. eggs. Um, if you can see the glass blowers, that's pretty cool to see. Um, hidden secret, uh, dinner at Morocco. Really? When I was training for guest relations, I had a chance to eat at a lot of places because we had to know everything. Right, right. Dinner in Morocco is, is very, very nice. Okay. Uh, hidden secret. Um, wow. All the countries have, have hidden secrets. Um, yeah, there's every single country they have people that appear during the year that you need to kind of look up uh, to find out when they're going to be there. But uh, I think that the secret of Epcot is so obvious it's not funny. Uh. Take your time. I'm a stroller. <laughs> I truly am. If I went like I I used to go to the Central Florida Fair when I was a kid. First place I'd go the 4-H Club exhibit. You know the exhibit. Okay. I want to see them cows. I want to see them chickens. I grew up in that world, though. But you didn't. I'm a, I'm a stroller. I think all the parks, even Animal Kingdom, are wonderful places to stroll and slow down and let, let it come to you. Let the parks come to you when you go there. Um, working at Epcot, I can tell you that when, when the rope would drop by Spaceship Earth and the people would come in, they made a beeline for three places, either soaring, or Mission Space, or Test Track. Really? Oh yeah, they got to go in there first. So you know, you just had a big breakfast. You go to, you go to Mission Space, and then you, you lose your breakfast. And then by <laughs> ten thirty, Uncle Harry wants to go home with everybody. You just made me think of something. <laughs> and and it says, okay, the Mars thing we're talking about, Mission right. Space, right. right? Did you go to Disney when they had the Moon version? Yes. Uh, and yes. I I've never yes. met anybody who yes. rode that. Yes. Compare them. What, what were they similar? Well, the moon thing was simply uh, a, a screen, and you sat around it, and you had the illusion because whoever took the movie on the screen, the, the vessel, the, the ship was going up. So you had thing that you know the the, the uh, illusion that you were going up, and that was featured on Walt Walt Disney World uh, tele on the on the TV show. Okay. Mission Space. I've seen the ride. I've been underneath and seen the ride. So you know the illusion, right? Yeah. Well, it's okay. a centrifuge. Okay. And anybody knows what a centrifuge is, that's what astronauts and pilots are trained on. It goes in a circle. It's, it's on arms. And the pods you're in, which were the ships that you were in, it held four people. Right. Each pod does two things. They tip, um, to, they tip well, they don't actually go, uh, they don't tilt, but they, go, they tilt backwards and forwards. Okay. So when you go to the launch pad, have you been on Mission Space? Yes, okay. I've been on both well, versions I of it. I went on one, and I couldn't do it. Did you go the full? Oh, the yeah. full okay. Yeah, whole thing. Okay. Yeah, now, well, they had to do that. Okay. Yeah. 
But when it goes around and around and around, that creates the illusion of the G-forces. And you actually experience a, a, about a G when you go on the ride. But it's actually a centrifuge that goes around and around and around and around. And then everything else is an illusion that, you, that they create inside the capsule you right. know, with, with, with digital uh, recreation video. Right, right. So that's, it's, and, and, you know, Alien was like that. And now Alien's gone. But Alien was basically very basic. The alien escapes from the cage. You're in Tomorrowland. Wow. You're an alien. You hear it when surround sound. Right. And then they blow hot air on the back of your neck. And the sound is, he's right behind you, and you feel the hot air. Right, it right. It scares the heck out of you. But they use, they use this in uh, Honey, I Shrunk, the, the uh, audience. Oh. Remember at the very end when yeah. the mice get out? Yeah. And you get the, the feeling on your feet right. with air? They use those basic ideas. Disney is very good out of taking basic things and using them for extended periods of time like Jungle Cruise where I started. Okay. All those animals are pistons. Mm. Yeah, when you and I had two rehabs there where I helped clean it. Okay. The water's drained. You know, because gotcha. in the early days they they had guns there and they took the guns away and then they put walkie-talkies in. Well, the first time we had a Jungle Cruise rehab, we collected the the cartridges that were in the the trough. Oh, really? Well, they were blanks, but you know, the right. The, the tour guide, the skipper, had to fire this thing in sequence as part of the show, and then they, they stopped that. Ah. But when these animals were cleaned, Imagineers would come out. They'd use, it was usually down for four weeks. And they would lift the animals' heads back or something, and they'd repaint them, and then they would clean the hydraulics inside. Okay. But it was all hydraulics. It was made out of steel, copper, brass. Never wore out. Nice. So all those elephants you see, the hippos, the alligators, all that, it's all hydraulic. Well, there are real, yeah. real animals, yeah. too. Let's point that out. Like if you go on the safari run and stuff like that, there are. There Jungle are. Cruise was all animatronics. Um, Kilimanjaro Safari, where I almost went to work, and I have a good friend that worked up there just till a few weeks ago when he retired, was extremely difficult because you dealt with life. Mm. And there was no fence. Mm. Remember, when you're driving through there, now the only thing with those trucks were is they had a spiel, they have a system, and they have things they have to drive over in the road that trigger certain things like the wobbling bridge. Right, right. Okay. This is a safari run, yeah. basically. So all these, these, like Jungle Cruise was the same thing. You, you, you couldn't be too close to a boat in front of you or the scene didn't reset. <laughs> okay. So you'd go by and the, the gorillas would be limp or the, the snake would be wrong or something like that because you were too close to the boat. It was called blocking and spacing. That was part of what you learned when you were trained. Gotcha. But uh, Kilimanjaro Safari is the same thing, but it's live animals. So during the summer, when you go on a 2.30 or quarter to 3 afternoon trip, you know, you might see very docile animals. And that's the, that's the, but the realism of the fact that that's probably what the jungle's like anyway. Right. Is part of it. And Disney, when they did Animal Kingdom, I was there for opening day. I went out opening day because I was with the press. Um, was unlike anything they thought Disney would do. And what that lends you to believe was Disney was never far away from doing something that was just totally crazy but they really would think it out like they did with the new tomorrow with the new uh, fantasy land that was a very well thought out area and building a new area in a park that is open every day of the week every day of the year 
is extremely difficult because not only that, but you have other rides that have to come down for their rehabs um, once a year. Oh. And so you have to take Space Mountain offline. You've got to take Splash Mountain. You have to do this because of regulation. You know, Disney comes under the auspices of OSHA. Gotcha. And they've had some incidents out there. But Disney is a very safe place to be. It's a wonderful place to be. And I won't say this too long, but I was not at the park. I was not at the park on September 11th, 2001. Oh. But I was at the park on September 12th, 2001. Really? Was there a drop well, in attendance? I'm sure well, it had to be. Epcot was evacuated with word of mouth. They did a whoa. They, they did an evacuation. They just they whispered it. They told people in the park. They went around. Said it's been something happened. People just left. They have three kinds of evacuations really? out of the park. It was great. The next week, what we saw in the park was life changing because we saw some of the people come that had been up at Ground Zero. Oh. Like the firemen. Okay. The policemen. The okay. people that actually worked on the pile. Gotcha. What they call the pile. The stories they told and what they saw was so emblazoned in their hearts, you wouldn't believe it. And then they just came, switched gears. Disney treated them to families like they did the firefighters when they had the fires of 99 in Florida. Oh. They treated firefighters all over the... Well, not only the state, but everybody that came from the southeast to help Florida fight all those fires in 99. We had firemen in the park all. I had jungle crews, boats full of just firefighters. Oh, wow. And you just realized that in your little ride or in your little costume or wherever you were, that you were truly a destination. Someone came a long way to have that moment with you. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things I always stressed when I trained. I said... And it was like radio. Radio and Disney had something in common, and that is don't think about where you are. Think about where you're going. Gotcha. Disney, with radio, it's like that person in the car that might be listening to Patrick Riley. And once you visualize where you are, then you're better at what you'll do. Right, exactly. And Disney was the same way. You might be doing the last trip of the day at Jungle Cruise and have only eight people on your boat. But unless you try to do the very best you can that one trip, and it was very hard because Disney was reputation and rotation, and you could be extremely tired. And that's what I saw when I did show observation. That's another thing I did. I was selected to be a show observer. Okay. And to, well, that's another To story. critique whoever's doing whatever. Well, not to critique, but just to observe. The way I was taught to show observe was you hold a mirror up in some in front of, you hold a mirror up in front of someone, and they say, well, how did I do? And you ask them, well, how do you think you did? What did how did you feel? Mm. And you, you simply point out to something that they already know rather than say, you need to do this. Okay. And, it was a, and I learned that critique when I helped people in radio a little bit, too. That's good. That's yeah. real good. It was positive. Right. We had a lot of college kids. And I had a young girl at Jungle Cruise one time. She says, I don't think I did very good. I said, why? Oh, I didn't. I said, okay. But I said, I noticed something I bet you didn't know. I said, what? He said, you got a really good... You got really good eye contact. Okay. You smile with your eyes. That's all I told her. Did you change her? Do you think you did? Got her attitude? Might have a little better. About it. Yeah. I told one guy that was a regular there one time, I said, um, you have funny eyes. 
but you can't see him because he used to wear sunglasses. And that was against the, you weren't supposed to do that. Really? But okay. instead of me saying to this guy who had a lot more seniority than I did, here's what you can't do. <laughs> and show observation was shut down anyway because the union didn't, didn't think that you could do it because you weren't management. Okay. And they were probably right, but I had to do it. But I had to do it in a, in a humble way. And I think that kind of philosophy passed over into radio too. I think radio was always, you know, there is so, so, some sort of adage to not, this, is, this could be the last break of your life and you're only as good as your last break. I don't like that philosophy. I don't believe in that. But I do believe in, in, um, in being yourself putting the station first, or in you know, Disney's case, putting the show first, and really being all about the show, because in both cases, it's about show. Right, show business. It's about, it's about yeah. entertainment. Yeah. That's what radio was. Um, and I never wanted to get so caught up in the business of radio that I couldn't enjoy the show of radio. And I still don't. I still think that's why I like it. Well, that's good. Now, before I let you go here, yeah. let's move over to something a little different. You're collecting, real quick, Bob's collection. What will I find when, if I ever get invited to Bob's house? What is Bob's collecting? You're a nerd here. Share with other okay. nerds. Dust balls. Oh, I got Lots some. Of them. I got some of those. <laughs> you know, those air dusters do work. Oh gosh. After mom died, a couple years after mom died, I started to. You know, I'd go out and about, and I'd be driving around, and I, I say, well, I, you know, I love toys. I'll go into a toy store. There's a cool looking Hot Wheel. I bought three, bought four. I used to line them up on the dining room table, start to categorize them. Well, 550, 600 Hot Wheels oh, later. Oh, Bob. <laughs> oh, yeah. Then I started to collect Publix trucks, the ones that are in the Publix supermarket. Okay. And that's in honor of my father, who always wanted to go to Publix uh, or have me go to Publix and work because he thought so much of the company. But I bought him one uh, that was remote controlled on his last christmas Aww. so i've got that picture and i've got all the trucks every year since then up nice. there are about eight of them there's some of them are copied but one of them is is an rc the rest are remote control and and standalone and they're beautiful Publix trucks they're you know one what one sixteenth scale i think nice then the hot wheels i've got a lot of series a lot of them are still packed i've got big rigs big trucks and I've got my Tyco trains, which were handed down to me. And I grew up loving slot cars. I love Hot Wheels. What you don't know is that it's not the Hot Wheels that I put up or put them, line them up on a wall or not take them out of the package. I like to photograph them. Ah. I like to do what they call microphotography. Nice. And it's very easy. So you build easy. the dioramas and things well, like that? Well, one of the ways I found out is you can build a box, like a black one and put a piece of typing paper on it. Put a Hot Wheel on a piece of white paper. Get a little black in the back. And basically use an iPhone or a Samsung phone, any good phone, that's, and get some, put a little, maybe a little uh, incandescent light on it, a little book lamp or something on it, and really get an amazing shot. And then if you can scan it or get a big picture, you look at it and go, damn, that looks really good. Nice. And I enjoy it. But I'll tell you why I got into it. I had some lonely days. And it made me feel uh, good because maybe your life gets so crazy and so busy and so purposeful that there wasn't any purpose in it. It was just something, maybe a little selfish, you know, something I wanted to do. And I don't regret doing it, right. you know, because two, two parts of it honor my mom and my dad. Nice. 
Um, and I don't regret my years in radio. In fact, I, I'm so grateful to, uh, to UCF and, and everybody out there. I mean, a very, very blessed man. And you, you did such a great job. And I, and I remember working for you at nights and going, how in the hell does this guy stay up till midnight and stay awake? Because <laughs> I worked till midnight for you, but, but Brian would call me up some time. I remember the first time he called me, he says, Patrick needs a day off. Would you come in and work? I went, at night? <laughs> what? I had never worked a night shift, I don't think, until I came in for you. Well, you I think in the old days I did everything. You got to be a vampire for a little while. Yeah, but you sounded great at WLOQ, uh-huh. and you look great, and uh, you've gone through so much, buddy. And, <laughs> and I think you're, 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 are these, uh, what's the official name of this, of this show here? The Riley and Kimmy Show. Okay. Kimmy's on assignment right now, can I you tell? I she gets second billing. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I to can I ask you one question before we go? Well, I, you can so, ask as many as you want. Well, no, I'm no, just thinking because okay. I mean, you're just you're just rifling it. You're doing real good. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> thank you. How many costumes do you have in your closet there, buddy? Oh, you mean how many changes do I have? Uh, oh, well, yeah. I, I don't have as many as well, we have actually what's called a professor of cosplay, a gentleman who's into costuming and and he does events for us that we can't do and he's really into that uh he has like 30 some odd that he does i would say if you said okay patrick i want you to do this event and this event and this event i could do 12 individual uh full type costumes theatrical uh that i could do and one of one of my favorites is the 1966 green hornet that i do and Uh, the 1966 Batman yeah. that I do. Those are my favorites. Well, just to let you know, I don't know if I still have it on my phone, but the other day yeah, I watched Lewis Nelson as Batman, which was a Columbia... 1943. Columbia film serial, and he did a 15-minute show, which they would run at the tail end of whatever movie was out that week. Yes. And the costumes were horrid. Hey. <laughs> I never saw the Batmobile, but the guy was great looking, and um, they did the rope thing going up the side yes, of the building, yes. but not like, you know, Adam West and uh, what's his name. But, but what I loved about it was there was an attempt back then through a costume character to definitively separate good and bad. You know what I recommend, since you mentioned the movie serials, the best one to watch, I think, is 1940-41. I can't remember the exact year. It's, it was done by Republic Pictures, and it's Captain Marvel. Uh, they actually spent money on it. And as you know, the serials weren't exactly the biggest budgeted films of all time. It is fantastic. And I'm also a big fan of uh, Columbia Pictures' Superman with Kirk Allen. Uh, even though they had to animate him flying, I love his portrayal as Clark Kent. And his and Superman, I'm into the movie serials as you can tell. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and the movie serials were were important too because what they did was they gave the person that went to a movie uh, a reason to go to the movie, perhaps uh, besides the the marquee event. Right. And it might have been a, 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 a an, you know a, a bad movie. Right. But you had the serial, so they would go for the serial. Right. And then you know you'd have that kind of a thing going too. So. Uh, I always loved, um, I always loved Batman. I always loved Superman. I grew up with Sergeant Rock and our Army oh, at War, wow. drawn by the the late Stan uh, uh, Stan Kubrick. Yes. And Stan Kubrick, I can remember seeing his covers, and he had a very skeletal style with long drawn faces and deep skeletal eyes, yes. and 
and a, and a lot of blasting and and he always made the the enemy with the Germans mostly um, very 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 uh, shrewd and smart and and evil yes. you know um, but Stan Kubrick had uh, an art school down in South Florida and he taught other kids how to to draw comics right. well comics are drawn differently now than they were uh, you know many many years ago but we grew up with the Bob Canes Jack Kirby Jack Kirby and all that but uh, it's like cartoons you know I love cartoons same here I'm, I'm a Calvin uh, uh, you know a far side I love zits I, I love them because of the storyline and because I'm an only child you realize that four or five of the greatest comics ever are only kids mm-hmm. Calvin's an only child Hobbs is a stuffed animal right uh, you know Dennis the Menace was a stu- was a was an only child that's correct so I think in let me expand this. In collecting, in cosplay, what you do and all that, there is a love for something because it, for some reason it, 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 it strikes a chord in you. It makes you feel good about something. You, it reveres perhaps an era that you don't live anymore. Or, a, you know, when I, when I grew up, I can remember dr- jumping off a bench with a towel pinned around my neck going, dun dun Ah, you thought you were George Reeves. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, and I had dreams of flying over the neighborhood. Um, Superman was 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 classic, but I think our army at war. And then I don't even want to start on the Mad magazines I had because I had oh, some. I shot I love my. Those. I should shoot myself because I sold all the ones that I had oh, that were Bobby. ten cents. Bobby. <laughs> then I had the cla- Remember the classic comic books? Yes. When the teacher would say, "Now you've got to read Great Expectations." Oh, by you Thursday. cheated! You cheated! Oh, oh yeah, Bobby. buddy, I got the comic. <laughs> Got the, there was a few book reports come from classic comics. Moby Dick, where are you there? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I loved comics. I loved them because they were weekly. You couldn't wait to see the new one. There was an excitement when you saw the new Batman or the new uh, Flash or the new Green Lantern. And I think it's timeless. And, and I'm a big fan of the, you know, the 50s and 60s era right. and, and early 70s, especially the 50s and 60s because they, there was a purity to them. There was right. good versus bad. And really no gray. And I, I like that part. Yeah. You know? Well, I think comics, I think collecting, I think all this stuff has one uh, common thread. And I think we both have it. There, there's, there's, a, there's a kid in, in, in both of us. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think you have to be a, um, a kid at heart to enjoy radio. It's funny because, you know, right now I got a little iPhone in my lap. And I watch people with an iPhone in their pocket or when, you know, iPods came out and you got the earpieces going up to your ear. And gosh, I remember my dad giving me my first Zenith transistor radio and having that in my pocket with that same little wire coming up to my ear. And how funny it is that we've gone full circle and come back to the the portable square little entertainment block that's down in our pockets. Um, And that's where where radio has gone to. Even what you're doing right now is not going to appear on a regular radio station. No, but it's mobile and it's, it's global. Mobile and it's global. global. It's global. It's streaming. It's accessible. And you fall back on your training and your years and the fact that you loved something that really was housed in a building with a radio wave and a stick or an antenna up in the air. Exactly. And I think that's what's wonderful about it. I don't know if uh, Thomas Edison would, would know what the hell's going on right now or anybody, but... You know, I think when the first radio station ever went on the air or the first time they ever carried the presidential election or whatever happened, 
um, they said, wow, they, you know, this is never going to, the first time a TV screen showed, oh, that, <laughs> that's never going to work. Right, right. It's funny how we go through the, that, that evolution of technology, but it's all, it always falls back to something basically people like to do. Um, people love to listen. And in this, in this society today, we're so fragmented by social, uh, the, the bombardment of advertising, messages, news, everything comes so fast, so quickly, so immediate, and so globally that to fall back to something that's as simple as collecting a car or reading a comic or listening to your podcast has a renewed enjoyment. Yes, I agree with you. And I think, yeah. Now, before I let you go, one last question, and then I'll let you free to do whatever Bob Kelly's going to do, is what would you... I'm going t- to Disney World. You are? Yeah. <laughs> all right. That's good. Okay. What? Isn't that what all the football players say? Uh, okay. What, what is one thing you would tell as advice, as a mentor, to somebody thinking of getting into television or especially radio broadcasting, some young, young person right now, what would you recommend? Well, what I used to say to a couple of people that I that I helped train at LOQ was make contact with make uh, eye contact with your voice. Um, they can't see you, right? But they know you're there. They might know what you look like, but they can't see you. So make eye contact with your voice. Remember, I don't know if they had it up, but in the last couple of days of a couple of years of LOQ, they had the core listener picture in front of us on the on the control board. She was a 40-year-old woman, was our average listener at WLOQ. So you talk, you look right at her. Um, I would think that one of the pieces of advice I'd have for television or radio is don't broadcast out there. Broadcast like they're sitting, like where you are right now. One-to-one. And instead of going, hey, Patrick, here I am, Bob Kelly, you would say, hey, Patrick, here I am, I'm Bob Kelly, how are you? Right. And bring them in with the way you talk you know look at them and picture that when you're on the air or on television that you're looking at that one person television it might be more difficult because you might be looking at a teleprompter or a camera lens but that camera lens is a face mm-hmm. in in radio i used to look at something on the wall did you try the mirror technique? <laughs> Did you do that? Did you, I'm serious. And then there was the day I looked up and there was a black bear outside the studio, but that's a whole nother. He, he is telling the truth because the <laughs> WLOQ studios had a, like a forest right behind it, and I would see bobcats and bears right. and things like sure. that. Yeah, all the time. But I think basically is to be yourself, be personal, and enjoy it. If you can't have fun, it's one business you want to move on. Yeah. Um, I, I still think people... I had a good piece of advice given me years ago by a man that was my boss at Magic 107.7. He said, remember the old Motel 6 commercial? (laughs) We'll leave the light on for you. He says, let them know when you're on mic that you're home. I hope you will come back to the Riley and Kimmy show. You have an you have an invite anytime. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. And I hope you'll come to one of our shows when we're out and about. Or let's see, one of our next ones will be a free comic book day at uh, Seminole Town Shopping Center. I want to get into a flash costume with a cape real quick flash doesn't have a cape <laughs> see what do i know okay uh, well maybe we can work on something for you okay the professor cosplay i'll say he needs a costume thank you buddy for all the time say hi to kimmy for me and congratulations on a very successful 
series that you have, and uh, the best of luck to you. Thanks for having me. Find archive podcasts of The Riley and Kimmy Show at RileyandKimmy.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.